Welcome to Tolkien in 10, a new feature on the Inklings Variety Hour. My idea for this is to take a figure or concept from Tolkien's work and talk about it for about 10 minutes. Um, this first Tolkien in 10 is on Arendil. The name might be unfamiliar to you, but chances are you've seen Arendil sailing the evening sky just before the other stars appear. And you probably didn't know it, but if you were to sail after him to where his ship lands, you might find yourself in another world, a less painful, more permanent world. But I'm getting ahead of myself. Tolkien encountered the name Arendelle in the old English poem Christ, or Christ, which was an old English poem about, well, Christ. The passage goes, Ella erendil engla beachtast over mirenyard molnum sended. The translation is, Hail erendil, brightest angel or possibly messenger, sent over Midgard or Middle Earth to men. The 21-year-old Tolkien read this passage in 1913 and it inspired him. Humphrey Carpenter says it marked the beginning of his mythology. In the Christ poem itself, the name either means morning star or else dawn. Here, Arendelle may refer to John the Baptist, who went before God's son, the same way the morning star goes before the sun. It might also stand for Christ. There's an old antiphon written for the season of Advent called O Oriens in Latin and translated O Dayspring in English. And some scholars believe that the text from the Christ poem is taken from it. But the word Arendelle is much older than this poem, and also older than English Christianity. It seems to be an old Germanic word for the planet Venus, traditionally called the, both the morning star and the evening star. There's even a warrior in Norse myth, one of Thor's friends, whose name is Aurvandil, Aurvandil the Valiant, whose big frostbitten toe Thor broke off and cast into the night sky where it became the morning star. Tolkien's own Arendil myth doesn't involve any broken-off big toes, unfortunately, but it keeps the idea of the morning star, which shines when night is darkest before daybreak. In Tolkien's invented language, one of them anyway, called Quenya, the word means lover of the sea. In keeping with this meaning, Tolkien's Arendil is a mariner, and we get our first extensive version of his story in The Fellowship of the Ring when Bilbo composes a poem about him, the longest and most complex poem in The Lord of the Rings. It starts out, Arendil was a mariner that tarried in Arvenian. He built a boat of timber felled in Nimbrathel to journey in. Bilbo's poem goes on to talk about both Arendil's ship and armor and a long wandering journey by sea. He is looking for a, quote, shining shore, does not find it, and is finally driven from the west to the east back to his own shores. But their flying Elwing came to him, and flame was in the darkness lit, more bright than light of diamonds, the fire upon her carcanet. The Silmaril she bound on him, and crowned him with the living light, and dauntless then with burning brow he turned his prow. Let's stop there a minute. To have any idea what Bilbo is talking about, and keep in mind that no original readers of The Lord of the Rings other than C.S. Lewis would have had any idea, we need to turn to material Tolkien later published, both in Appendix A of The Lord of the Rings as well as in The Silmarillion. Probably the most important question to start with is, what exactly is a Silmaril? 
The Silmarils were created close to the beginning of time in Valinor, a perfect world in the far west. It was here that the elves used to live in peace with beings who were a little bit like gods or angels called the Valar. They were created out of the light of two great trees that lit the entire world, the Silmarils were, that is, the tree of the sun and the tree of the moon. These trees were later destroyed by a bad Valar, a Satan-like figure called Morgoth. The good Valar, which were all the rest of them, asked the creator of the Silmarils, who was the greatest of the elves, to give the jewels up in order to heal and restore these two trees that had lit the whole world since time began. He refused because he did not want to give up what he had made, and the two trees perished. The world fell into literal darkness until the sun and moon were created instead, marking the beginning of um, our time and the beginning of the first age. The elves, in part because of complications arising from their leader's tight-fistedness, sort of exiled themselves and sailed across the sea east to Middle-earth. Even after the Silmarils' creator was killed, the once-perfect elves fought wars and killed each other over these jewels for hundreds of years, occasionally involving humans in their business. Morgoth was behind some, but not all, of this mischief, and he conquered a big part of Middle-earth and took the Silmarils for himself one by one. Things got really dark, with each chapter of the Silmarillion sadder than the last. Some of the elves and men intermarried, and two of them, Baron and Luthien, managed to recapture one of the Silmarils from Morgoth's crown. From the union of Baron and Luthien eventually came Elwing, Arendil's wife, who inherited the Silmaril. Arendil, who was also part human and part elvish, was constantly sailing west to try to find Valinor again, so that he could tell the good Valar about how bad things had gotten in Middle-earth and ask them for help. But mortals are forbidden to ever set foot in the Undying Lands, and his elf ancestors, remember, had been exiled from Valinor seemingly forever. Perhaps because of this, bad storms kept blowing Arendil and his ship Vingalot back east, and he kept getting lost, while his wife Elwing and their two sons Elros and Elrond, who may sound familiar, gave up ever seeing him again. Once even Elros and Elrond are captured, Elwing, with her heirloom Silmaril around her neck, despaired and threw herself into the ocean. And there the tale could have ended with Arendil lost, Elwing drowned, and Morgoth victorious. Instead, Olmo, one of the few Valar who could help people in Middle-earth, changed Elwing into a seabird and she flew with the last Silmaril to her husband, binding the jewel like a great star on his brow as he searched for Valinor. So the descendants of elves and men combined willingly gave up their people's treasure and risked death by coming to the Undying Lands to ask for help. Once he had the Silmaril, the two of them were driven by storms to Valinor, and Arendil, who stepped onto the shores expecting punishment and death, was greeted by the Valar with words that, if modified, sound just a bit like the old English poem. Hail, Arendil, of mariners most renowned, the looked-for that cometh at unawares, the longed-for that cometh beyond hope. Hail, Arendil, bearer of light before the sun and moon, 
splendor of the children of earth, star in the darkness, jewel in the sunset, radiant in the morning. There's more to this story. How Erendil and Elwing got to choose which people's fate they shared, and shared the fate of elves, which is to live forever. How the Valar assembled an army, traveled to Middle-earth, and took Morgoth captive. How Erendil fought and killed the chief of Morgoth's dragons. How the other Silmarils in Morgoth's crown were lost in the water and earth. And how the first age of Middle-earth ended. In the second age, Erendil's son, Elros, chose to become mortal, the first in a line of the kings of a new land called Numenor, which lay halfway between Middle-earth and Valinor. It's from these kings that Aragorn was descended. But back to Erendil himself. He and Alwing were not permitted to return to Middle-earth because they had technically violated the ban of the Valar. But they chose to become immortal and are still living, as far as anyone knows, in the undying lands of Valinor. Erendil's ship was turned into a flying ship that reflects and amplifies the light of the Silmaril on Erendil's brow. Every night, he still voyages out above us here on Middle-earth. His other son, Elrond, chose immortality, the fate of elves, but he remained in Middle-earth until the end of the Third Age, and you might have read about him in The Hobbit of the Lord of the Rings. I imagine it stirred up complicated emotions for him when he looked up at the sky and saw the star that is his father. But to the rest of us down here, Eärendil, most renowned of mariners, brightest messenger, continues to remind us that hope comes unlooked for in the darkest times. And that's all very well for us. But Erendil actually wanted to share the fate of men rather than that of elves. And because of his choice, which he chose to be with his wife Elwing, he is forever divided from mortal lands, even as we are unable to get beyond our trouble to the true West. Here's how Bilbo's poem ends. And over Middle-earth he passed, and heard at last the weeping sore of women and of elven maids in elder days and years of yore. But on him mighty doom was laid, till moon should fade and orbit star to pass and tarry nevermore on hither shores where mortals are forever still a herald on an errand that should never rest to bear his shining lamp afar, the flame of her of westerness. If you like this segment and would like to see me do more, perhaps in addition to the longer, regular, weekly podcast, please share the episode and rate the podcast. Please also email me at inklingsvarietyhour at gmail.com with suggestions of other people, places, or ideas from Tolkien that you'd like to see, as well as ideas for improvement. Hope you enjoyed it, and next week we will finish our discussion of Charles Williams' novel, Descent into Hell.
blessed encounter full of joy unscheduled on the decent plan with here an addict of tolkien there a charles williams fan